Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. No one broke into my grandmother's house and robbed her and killed her. She wasn't shot. She didn't die of an illness. She just died because of heat. That's Valerie Brown talking about how she experienced the deadly heat wave that hit Chicago 25 years ago this week. 739 people died, but it wasn't just due to the heat. City officials were unprepared and slow to react. And politicians like Mayor Richard M. Daley downplayed the danger. You can't contribute it all to heat. But I mean, you can. It's impossible. The news media was looking at other big stories that year, like the O.J. trial and the return of Michael Jordan. And the lack of air-conditioned public spaces in poor neighborhoods, largely ones on the city's south and west sides, meant people were stuck at home alone, burning up. Who finally raised the red flag? It was the guy who was being sent the bodies of victims. What really changed the, the debate in Chicago is Edmund Donahue, who was the, the medical examiner at the time, started to issue public reports. Uh, this number of people died today. This number of people died today. And the numbers were startling. Joining me now from Georgia is Dr. Edmund Donahue, former chief medical examiner for Cook County. Edmund Donahue, welcome to Reset. Thank you. It's uh, great to have you on the program. We're doing this week-long series on the 95 heat wave, and uh, you are a big part of it, so I'm glad to talk with you today. Take us back to that time. It's 1995. We're seeing the heat indexes well over 100 degrees. Uh, the city's heating up. What's going through your head at the, at the medical examiner's office when, when you start to see that this heat wave is on the books? We were taken by surprise, just like everyone else. We had had hot weather before. We knew that it could cause deaths, but we had no idea about the number of deaths that were going to be uh, enumerated following uh, the heat wave. Yeah. What did you know about heat waves at that point, before it came through? We had been watching the heat waves uh, since the medical examiner's office started. We knew that they, they had the potential to cause a large number of deaths. Uh, and we had a, a definition of a heat-related death that had been in place for 18 years. We used a three-prong approach. One was a, a measured body temperature of 105 or greater at the time of death. And number two was substantial environmental or circumstantial evidence of heat as a contributor to the death. Uh, for hmm. example, a person found dead in a room without air conditioning, all windows closed, and a high ambient temperature in the room. And the third was a person found dead in a decomposed state without evidence of another cause who was last seen alive during the heat wave period. Hmm. Well, the heat wave started on a Thursday, so and by Friday night, you, you got a call at home. Walk us through what happened. Friday night, I got a call from our investigator. He said, Dr. Donahue, I just want to give you a heads up. There are 40 cases on the list uh, for tomorrow for the medical examiner's office. Now, in the history of the medical examiner's office, we had never had more than 37 cases. So uh, he and I both realized that that something uh, very unusual was happening. And I asked the investigator what he thought was occurring, and and he replied he thought that the people were dying of the heat. And... uh, I knew we were going to need extra help, so the first thing I did is I called the chief autopsy technician, Doug Childress, and uh, I asked him if he would have all of the autopsy technicians come in the following morning. 
then I uh, I called all my forensic pathologists, uh, the ones who weren't scheduled to work on Saturday, and I asked them to come in. And then I called my chief investigator, Pat Angelo, and asked him to come in immediately to supervise the investigation and the paperwork so that we would be ready to work the following day. That's a lot of preparation. When when you think of the, the office, the actual space, uh, the morgue, and, and everything that's needed to do autopsies was enough on that first day of the Chicago heat wave. Well, we, had a, we were in a state-of-the-art building. We just moved in there in 1984. i got to say the building was adequate, but what was lacking was our body storage. Uh, we had uh, a refrigerator that would hold 300 bodies, but there was a tendency to run full. So uh, what we needed was uh, refrigerated trucks, and we were able to get those through uh, Commissioner Eileen Carey of the Chicago uh, Bureau of Streets and Sanitation. She, she called up uh, Don Schimmick from LeGro Trucking, and uh, I, about 5 o'clock that evening, a number of refrigerated trucks pulled into my parking lot, and I breathed a sigh of relief because I knew it was possible that we were be going to be able to complete our mission. At that point in the first weekend, there, then this is where, where it becomes tougher to follow the story, but, the, but in that first weekend, it really still was. It's hot, and the news was covering, get your air conditioners and, and uh, you know, make sure you uh, keep yourself cool, but it's going to be a hot one. It was more of a weather story. What made you determine that it was more than a weather story? Because at a certain point you started, like Eric said in the intro, you started to d- deliver public reports. Eric's comments were very flattering, but I honestly was just doing my job. We had been giving heat death reports since 1982 uh, to the press. Uh, anytime it got warm, the uh, the media would call up and we would tell them the number of deaths for the day. So there was there was really nothing unusual about that. We didn't have any press conferences. In fact, we were not allowed to have press conferences. Hmm. So uh, I, I actually talked individually to any reporters who cared to talk about it. When, when you were in that position, 1995, we were not allowed to have press conferences. And, and I would assume that you would want, your office would want to report to the Cook County Board President at the time, John Stroger, Mayor Daley, of course. Uh, how, did that, how was that relationship? Were you on an island where, where it's just, here's my public reports? Or, or was there any sort of coordination between the offices? We had not talked to John Stroger. We had talked to people in the county building because we we needed uh, resources uh, that was going to take money to, to talk about. That is part of the story is that Mayor Daly was not informed, I guess, until Saturday night or, or Sunday morning. And I think that was a systemic problem in uh, the city of Chicago that the mayor was out of town. Somebody had to be in charge. But whoever was in charge wasn't given the permission to make important decisions, mm. especially about expenditure of funds, you know, for overtime and additional ambulances and things like that that would have been useful. From your vantage point, we, we heard coming some of the clips, but, but you know, the story quickly became uh, one of it's a weather story, and then it, it almost went to a blame game. We saw uh, blame on the, I don't want to say the overreporting. Or, or perhaps that some of these deaths weren't heat-related. And Mayor Daly had a famous press conference where he talked about, you know, anyone very similar to what we're hearing now with COVID-19, but talking about anything that's heat-related is being called, but that's not what, you know, people had other effects or died of something else. How do you remember it, the, the sort of in the press back and forth between your well, office and I, Mayor I, Daly? I remember it. I was, I was surprised. Uh, we had worked with uh, the mayor when he was in the state's attorney's office, 
and we knew him to be a, a true professional. So we were surprised at this uh, reaction. But it, as I think about it, this was really a new concept for almost everyone that he could cause death in such large numbers. And people who lived in air-conditioned spaces were, didn't see any evidence that there was a problem. And, and that's because this whole thing was hidden. Uh, the people who understood it were the people who lived in the same conditions and also the people who had to handle it, like police, fire, ambulance people, funeral directors, physicians. And I noted when Mayor Daly was being critical that nobody was joining in and saying, yeah, the mayor was right. So hmm. I was happy about that. The other thing that sustained me is we were quite confident about what we were doing here, and we knew that uh, we would be sustained in a review, and that helped. I think uh, I had grown up in Chicago, and I knew that you couldn't fight with the mayor of Chicago, So, and we didn't fight with the mayor of Chicago. We just continued to report the facts as they were. Yeah. When you look at now the storyline, and Eric Kleinenberg's book really kind of started the narrative on really about the disparities when it comes to uh, Chicago and how segregated it is, but uh, how many of the victims were from black and brown communities in Chicago. From your vantage point at the medical examiner's office, you must have noticed that right away. Uh, that that storyline came out much later, but from your vantage point, did you recognize that this was coming from from uh, a lack of, of infrastructure and, and disparities that, that we now know a little bit more about in the city of Chicago? Well, I, I have to say no, I, I didn't, uh, because uh, these were the, the same people that we saw on a daily basis with all the other problems uh, that there were in Chicago, of drug overdoses and gun violence, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about that time, how do you reflect on it? When you look back now, we're looking back at 25 years, uh, and your experience of, of being in the middle of it and, and being in, in the coroner's office in the morgue and being the chief medical examiner and, and everything that's come out since, how, how, do you, how do you recall it? It was a, a very exciting time for uh, our office, and uh, one of the, the very interesting things is uh, I thought I'd have to be telling my people what to do, I was very pleasantly surprised that my people knew exactly what needed to be done and that my job in this turned out to be to be able to supply the resources so that they could do the job, such as the refrigerated trucks. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I had to get extra manpower to, to help them move the bodies around. On the first Saturday, I called uh, Stephanie Kahn at Warsham College of Mortuary Science and I said, Stephanie, do you think that some of your students could come down and help us in the medical examiner's office? We're having a, a very large problem. And, and Stephanie very graciously said, uh, we'll, we'll be down as soon as we can. Mm. And they were there that afternoon to help us. Later on, I got help from Sheriff Mike Sheehan's uh, 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 work release program where misdemeanor offenders are assigned to public service. And uh, they also helped us uh, that was actual physical labor, like moving around bodies, uh, lifting them on and off the refrigerated trucks. Yeah. Do you think the final count was underestimated? That's been a, a theory and an argument for, for many years now. Well, the final count, no, they, cal- they calculated the excess mortality. So I think we have it as close as you possibly could. I think the medical examiner's office during that period attributed 626 deaths to, to the heat. When they calculated the excess mortality, it was 729. Now, you should get all the deaths in the excess mortality. So although at the time when uh, I was doing a press conference, 
I, I said, uh, they, they were asking me about the mirror and if we were exaggerating this. And I said, I want you to, to realize that when this is all over, uh, we will have undercounted the number of deaths. Mm. Mm. It turned out to be true. Yeah. Dr. Donahue, my final question for you, just about this summer, that summer, the events of that summer. How do you think that changed the city, the, the, the office of the medical examiner, uh, disaster preparedness in general? How do you see it? How, how, how did the 1995 heat wave change the way we, we work as a society today? 1995 preceded the 1996 Democratic Convention. And, it, and as a result of the heat wave, I think we had a lot of training exercises with the city agencies about how things were going to be handled uh, if anything would come up during the uh, Democratic National Convention. And that relationship continued on for many years. I, I don't know what's going on these days, but uh, there, there were benefits that came out of uh, training with each other and making a plan for the ministry. Mm. That's former um, Chief Medical Examiner for Cook County, Dr. Edmund Donahue. Dr. Donahue, thanks so much for talking to us this week. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Justin. That's Reset for today, July 15, 2020. I'm Justin Kaufman. We'll be back tomorrow other podcasts. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.